Welcome to Living Faith, the podcast ministry of the First Baptist Church of Avon Park, Florida. Living Faith features the preaching and teaching ministry of First Baptist Church from our Sunday morning and evening services, as well as our Wednesday night Bible studies for students. First Baptist Church exists to glorify God by proclaiming the good news of Jesus Christ so that the lost might be saved and the Christian might be equipped. God's primary tool for this kind of growth is the regular preaching and teaching of His Word. That's why here at First Baptist, our prayer echoes that of the psalm. Above all else, God's Word and God's name should be exalted. Today's message was once again brought to us by our guest preacher, Dr. Thomas Townsend. Let's listen. Well, last week, we saw that God asked the question of Adam. Adam, where are you? And of that great servant of God, Elijah, God asked the question, Elijah, what are you doing here? Two questions that we should ask ourselves on a daily basis, actually. Where are you spiritually, physically, emotionally, mentally? Where are you? And secondly, what are you doing here? What on earth are you doing for heaven's sake? Now the question comes in a different form. Jesus will ask it of the blind man. And would you stand with me as we read this particular scripture? This is an account that is also mentioned in Mark 10 and Luke 18 of the blind beggar, Bartimaeus. Verse 29, as Jesus and his disciples were leaving Jericho, a large crowd followed him. Two blind men were sitting by the roadside, and when they heard that Jesus was going by, they shouted, Lord, Son of David, have mercy on us. The crowd rebuked them and told them to be quiet, but they shouted all the louder, Lord, Son of David, have mercy on us. Jesus stopped and called them. What do you want me to do for you? He asked. Lord, they answered, we want our sight. Jesus had compassion on them and touched their eyes. Immediately they received their sight and followed him. Let's pray. Our most gracious Father, we just praise you for who you are. We love you and we thank you, Lord God, for being present, for calling us into your activity, for granting that we would have your grace and mercy and your salvation above all things, Lord Jesus. We pray that you'll be honored. We want to worship you in spirit and in truth today, Lord Jesus. And I know that there are decisions being made even now. Father, I just pray that no one leaves this building with indecision, that all decisions will have been made, and that they, every decision will honor you as our Lord and our Savior. Grant that for us today, and may you be glorified above all things, for it's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen. All right. Let me just transport you back some 2,000 years ago. In this village of Jericho, which was right across the Jordan River, I've been there, I can picture it now. It was the first city that the children of Israel encountered when they crossed the Jordan River into the Promised Land. It's an ancient city. There were actually two cities there. There was one, the ancient city that had been destroyed, and there was another one rebuilt by King Herod. And this was a great week because 
Jericho was approximately 15 miles from Jerusalem, and this week was preceding the Passover. And it was Jesus and his entourage that was coming through Jericho on their way up into Jerusalem. And there were crowds gathered along the roadside watching those who would make that pilgrimage up to Jerusalem for that Passover feast, that time of celebration. And so as Jesus and his disciples and those that were listening were coming out of the city of Jericho heading up to Jerusalem, they heard the beggars crying. Well, it was not unusual for rabbis, teachers, to have their own group of disciples or students or those who were just curiosity seekers. Jesus, for the past three-plus years, had his reputation, had preceded him everywhere he went. Stories of miracles of Jesus Christ were everywhere. His healings were legendary. His words were breathtaking. And there was just something about this man that attracted men, women, and children. And there he was with a large throng of people around him trying to hang on to whatever words that he was speaking when two blind beggars started crying out. The crowd tried to shut them up for any number of reasons. You can picture it. As they heard that Jesus was coming through, they cried out and and yet they were hushed by the followers. Well, you got to understand that beggars were common in that day and age. Blindness was a common thing in that day and age because it was seen as a sin. Somebody obviously was disobedient to God, so they were blind or they were crippled or lame, whatever the case might be. It was because of their sin. And so they really didn't want to hear from a sinner to begin with, much less the fact that these two blind men seemed absolutely bent on having their voice raised above the crowd. They wanted his attention. Well, there are four things that I want to leave with you today about this passage and Jesus' question. You see, to receive a miracle, we have to admit our need. And to admit that a cure is impossible to take care of that need without Jesus Christ and his direct intervention. So, first of all, admit your need. Well, there were people all along the way that were asking to be healed from their lameness, healed from their infirmities, healed from their sicknesses, healed from any number of things. These two men were bent on the fact that they were wanted to be healed from their blindness. And in the other passages, we can extract the fact that from Mark and Luke that Bartimaeus or these blind men were once sighted. They weren't born blind. They had vision at one time, and they wanted this to be restored. So admit your need. You know, some of you are here this morning, and you're in need of a miracle. 
Let's face it. You need a miracle. You need a divine intervention of none other than Jesus Christ himself. Can you admit your need? Now, we're a prideful people. We are a very prideful people. We, we have a hard time, men and women together, have a hard time admitting the fact that there is something that we can't resolve, something that we can't solve, some problem that we cannot solve, something that cannot be fixed by us. We like to think that we're the captain of our fate, the master in control. But you see, when, when we are on the throne of our lives, there's no room for Jesus. So there, there's only one throne in our life that can only be occupied by either us or, or our Lord, Jesus Christ. And so what is it today? To the blind men, it was pretty obvious, I think, as to what they were crying out. Can you admit your need this morning, whatever it might be? That need for healing from some hurt, the need to have those scars in your, in your heart, in your emotions healed, that need to have something in your life repaired that you thought was irreparable, beyond repair, a relationship maybe. Maybe you need healing there. Maybe it's something that was done to you in your employment or at school. Maybe there's some issues going on there. But Lord, I need healing. So the first step is to admit our needs. The second step is to seize our opportunity. Verses 30 and 31 said they were sitting by the roadside when they heard that Jesus was going by. They heard the crowds. Here he is. He's coming. Jesus of Nazareth. And they began crying out all the more. And recognizing that Jesus, Lord, Son of David, have mercy on us. Son of David was the, the nomenclature, the name that they would give to the Messiah, the only begotten Son of God. They recognized, though they were blind, they recognized that Jesus was the Messiah when the very rabbis and teachers of the day did not. Though they were blind physically, they were sighted spiritually. Mark 10.50 says that throwing his cloak aside, he jumped to his feet and came to Jesus. The master's calling you. Come. Come to me. It would have been easier for Jesus to walk over to them and place his hands on their eyes while they were still seating or squatting on the side. That's not what Jesus did. It's kind of an interesting thing for us to seize the opportunity because that God always requires a response from us. Have you ever noticed that? To the, remember the man with the withered hand? Jesus said, stretch forth your hand. Why couldn't Jesus just touch it? Because he expected a response in faith to himself. Well, what about the man who was lame? Arise, take up your bed, and walk. Respond, show that you have faith in Jesus to do the things that he has told you that he would do. Well, here we are. He threw his cloak aside. Are you, are, do you seize the opportunity? 
Well, I tell you what, I love conferences and I like good preaching. I like to hear good messages being proclaimed, good teaching. I really enjoy it. But you know that if I don't take the opportunity to hear these things or to respond to Jesus in some form or fashion, I'm going to miss the blessing. I'm going to miss the opportunity to receive that blessing from God, whatever it is. So you've got to seize the opportunity. Thirdly, I want to clarify the request. Remember, blindness was common and in those days was incurable. It could happen in any number of ways because disease was rampant in those days and treatment was rare, if, if at all, in existence. And so, clarify it. Well, look what he said. Jesus said, what do you want me to do for you? Well, that sounds like a simple question to two blind men. Well, Lord, I think that's pretty, probably pretty obvious. I don't think it is. I think to each and every one of us, in any given situation, Jesus asked the same question, what do you want me to do for you? Well, Lord, you know I'm penniless. And Jesus is saying, do you think money is going to solve your problem? What do you want me to do for you? Where do you think the problem exists? Well, you know, we, in our own prayer life, we have that knee-jerk reaction And like the blind man, we say we want to see. But the reality is probably a lot deeper. Is that really what I can do for you? Is that really the best that I can do for you? Is healing the greatest thing for you in your situation? You know, I've I've learned a lot of things over the years. One of the things that I have learned to be is faithful in allowing Jesus to do with me what he so desires. Now, giving him carte blanche is a a step of faith, but you got to understand, when we do that, we're saying, Lord, whatever illness comes my way, whatever sickness comes my way, whatever my situation, I know you're going to use it for your glory. I have spoken to so many cancer patients over the years, but I know that people with cancer have such an empathy and an inroad to people with cancer. So God says, I want one of my believers to show non-believers how we deal with this particular disease. Years and years ago, I was at a National Congress on Prayer and I heard a missionary from Southeast Asia was thanking God. And she began to give her testimony about how they had served faithfully and they had seen people come to know Jesus Christ as their Lord and Savior in Southeast Asia. And yet her children got diseases and one by one they passed away and were buried there in Southeast Asia. And she said her husband got a disease and he passed away and she alone was left. And she said, in my my prayer room, I was thinking, God, thank you for counting me worthy enough to experience this on your behalf. 
And I thought then as a young pastor, my faith isn't that strong. A few years ago, I was speaking at an associational meeting and the wife of one of the directors of missions stood up and she was helped up to the platform and uh, she said, you know, I want to thank each and every one of you for all of your prayers. And she said, you know that I have cancer and it's terminal. And she said, but let me make one request of you. She said, don't pray for my healing. And I thought, that's pretty powerful. She said, pray that I can show the world how a Christian dies. And I thought to myself, how deep is her faith in the lordship of Jesus Christ, knowing that she's a winner no matter what happens, ultimately or temporarily. So Jesus asked us, what do you want me to do? becomes a more deep question when we start considering these options and these situations and circumstances that befall us. I was in Korea on a mission trip with Ralph Maloon. Some of you know him. He was the founder of Ski Nautique. And he had written a book called Out of Bankruptcy at that time. I'm sure the book is out of print. But he was telling me, he said, you know, God caused me and my brother to go bankrupt in our business so that we could rely completely and totally upon him. Upon him. And said, we had no idea that our business would become this productive, but I owe it all to him out of bankruptcy. So you're, you're, you're struggling with with situations in your own life this morning. Maybe you're struggling with illness. Maybe you're struggling with a particular disease or, or something that is, is really handicapping you or so you think. Maybe you're experiencing something today that, that you're, you don't really have the answers to. And Jesus comes to you this morning and asks you this simple question. What do you want me to do for you? And your initial response would be, well, just heal me. Drag me out of this situation. Heal these relationships. And it's as though Jesus is still waiting for us to go through the different possibilities of what may transpire through it all. You know, I, I hear the testimony of Johnny Erickson Tata, and I, I see that here's a young girl, still a teenager, who dove off of a platform and became paralyzed from her neck down. But who would have ever heard of her, perhaps, had she not had that circumstance? And what a phenomenal testimony she has to the world today. Because you see, People really don't listen to us when everything is going well and we're on top of the world. But we're on rock bottom. 
and our faith is still in reliance on Jesus Christ as our Lord and Savior, the unbelieving world takes notice. How could you feel that way? To the soul surfer, the movie that became so popular in the story, how come you're not just depressed over losing your arm? Why not? Because she said, I know that God is going to be glorified through it all. And he has been time and time again. And she has been fruitful for the Lord in her testimony. So what is your request this morning? That's my question to you. What is, Jesus is, is he's standing here in front of all of us. What do you want me to do for you? And the crowd around them, I'm sure, thought that was a flippant question. But I think it's something that you and I need to answer. I asked God for strength that I might achieve. I was made weak that I might learn to obey humbly. I asked for health that I might do greater things. I was given infirmity that I might do better things. I asked for riches that I might be happy. I was given poverty that I might be wise. I asked for power that I might have the praise of men. I was given weakness that I might feel the need of God. I asked for all things that I might enjoy life. I was given life that I might enjoy all things. I got nothing that I asked for, but everything that I hoped for. I, among all men, am most richly blessed. Okay, the question remains. Jesus asked each of us, what do you want me to do for you? And I think when we're honest and acknowledge our needs and begin to spend time with him, the question will be answered by each and every one of us. My cousin's daughter, this past year, 22 years old, just as, as vibrant and as young and gifted as she can be, just finished getting her CPA and joined an accounting firm in North Carolina of some 20-plus people. And she had already been told because of her background not to make this Jesus thing a matter of public knowledge in her office. Don't want to hear about him. Don't want to hear anything about that religious stuff she was told. And then I get a phone call on a Friday evening that as she was heading to her car that evening, she had not one but two strokes. And the doctors at the emergency room said she'll never make it through the weekend. The first one was devastating. The second one would do it. 22 years old. So I get a call from her uncle, uh, my cousin, and a dear friend of mine as well, in the Lord, a pastor. 
he called me up and told me the situation. And I told him, I said, Steve, from what you've told me about her work environment, God is about to do something in her life that is going to turn that office around. Doctors don't understand it. The only thing that they can say is, this has got to be God. She, two weeks later, left the hospital, and she really has no residual issues. But people in her office have come to her, and I talked to her mother, my cousin, at a, at a wedding we were at just a few months ago, and her mother said to me, she said, you know, they would come in to me. They would come into the room. Her co-workers would look at me and she said, aren't you upset? And Vicki, my cousin, would say, no. We just know the Lord's in control. Whatever he wants to do, we're okay with. And they would walk out of that room astounded. And the gospel, the good news of Jesus Christ was proclaimed to them. Everyone that walked in, every nurse, every doctor, every attendant, Every aide, anyone that would walk into the room would become, would marvel at the attention of Jesus Christ and at his followers who gave it all to him. Whatever you want, Lord, that's what I want. What do you want me to do? What exactly do you want me to do for you? That's not an easy answer for any of us. For at first blush, we have the answers right on the tip of our tongue. But then when we begin to chew on it and allow it to simmer, it's not all that easy to answer until we come to the fact that whatever your thy will be done, Father, on earth as it is in heaven, that's what we want. Well, the fourth thing is that I want you to see in verse 34. Immediately they received their sight and followed him. Can you imagine this? God gave them physical vision as well as spiritual insight to follow Jesus up into Jerusalem. And then though you don't see anything about it from that point forward, I think of them in the crowd. The false witnesses that came before Pilate and they're talking about how Jesus touched them and, they, and restored their sight and yet the cries of Hosanna and his entrance into Jerusalem turned into crucify him give us Barabbas crucify him and you can imagine these who had been healed were aghast I cannot imagine how a few days turn their lives around as well. And there as they probably witnessed the crucifixion, the scourgings, the beatings, the carrying of the cross on the way to Golgotha, the crucifixion, the burial, and then hearing about the resurrection. Wow. But we have that option today. What is it that you want Jesus to do for you? You're here this morning, and maybe you've never trusted Jesus Christ as your Lord and Savior. You just want to know. You want to know Jesus. 
You've heard about him. You've heard the cries of the crowd. You've heard us sing our songs. And yet you want to know this Jesus. But for some reason, as Jesus is passing you by, you're too timid or too ashamed to cry out, Jesus, Son of David, have mercy on me. Maybe if you don't know Jesus Christ, this is your day. The Bible says today is the day. Now is the time for salvation. Today is your day. Maybe you've been, been casually following Jesus but not very committedly, and uh, today is your day. And Jesus is saying, what can I do for you? Lord, make me a, a, make me a more committed servant. That's what I really want to do. I want to be your servant whether I'm in, in times of prosperity or times of poverty. I want to be your servant when I'm in times of health and in times of sickness. I want to be your servant no matter whether things are going my way or going the opposite direction. What can I do for you, Jesus asked. What do you want? What do you want out of him? And then finally, there are those of you that are looking for a church home. Jesus is saying, if this is where I'm, I'm bringing you, this is where I want you to serve and serve with all your heart, mind, soul, and strength. So the question to you today, what is it that Jesus can do for you? That answer is not all that simple to arrive at. Let's pray. Father, we just praise you for who you are and we thank you for this day that you've given us, for this blessing that's ours in Jesus Christ. Lord God, I know there are decisions being made even now. And as each and every one of us has to really wrestle with this question, Jesus, what do we want you to do for us? Father, I just pray today that we will cast off our cloak jump up and run to you Lord Jesus and let you place your hand on us knowing the miracle of salvation the miracle of healing will occur Lord God thank you thank you for who you are for what you're accomplishing be with us now and thank you for these decisions for it's in Jesus name we pray Amen That's all for this edition of Living Faith Stay connected to the teaching and preaching ministry of First Baptist Church by subscribing to this weekly podcast using your computer or mobile device. First Baptist Church is located at 100 North Lake Avenue in Avon Park, Florida. We meet every Sunday for worship at 1045 a.m. and 6 o'clock p.m. We invite you to join us if you don't currently have a church home and are looking for a place where the Word of God is proclaimed with power and clarity. You can find access to all of this and much more by visiting our website at fbcap.net. We look forward to connecting with you. Until then, this is Living Faith.